0: Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. In you go, In you go, yeah.
1: Marty Fish. Nothing personal word of the day. We've got a sit down. He's here. The Marty Fish, the famous Marty Fish on and off the court has graced us with his presence for 45 minutes here on a Samson sit down. We have so much to get to. Let me first start by saying welcome to nothing personal, Marty. How are you?
2: Thank you. Yeah. Big fan. Um, big fan of uh, of yours. Uh, I've been listening to the Levitard show for quite a while now Um And uh, loved your your uh, sit downs with them all the way through Uh, when you couldn't talk, when you weren't allowed to say anything all the way up until you literally say anything. So uh, so thanks for
1: having me, man. Oh, it's my pleasure. I've been freed now. Once I was out of baseball, it's like I've been unshackled and I'm able to talk about anything. But one of the shows that we did here uh, that got the most attention, I would say, was a show when I was very honest and nothing personal. I'm honest about everything just it's no holds barred about the world of sports and culture and entertainment, but also about me personally. And I was discussing my anxiety issues, and the first anxiety attack I ever had was on the team plane in 2003, flying to San Francisco for the first round of the playoffs. And I didn't know what was going on, except I said to the trainer on the plane, we have to land because I'm about to die. And I had a full plane of players. We were flying out to the playoffs. We were in the middle of a six hour flight from Florida. And he said, what are you talking about? I said, no, you don't you don't realize I'm not crying wolf here. I'm about to die and I don't want to die on this Miami air charter. So we're going to have to land. And uh, he calmed me down somehow. I'm not. All I remember is I was at a doctor in San Francisco before my first ever playoff game. I went to a psychologist in San Francisco that I got through the giants. And that was my first experience with panic attacks. And they've continued, unfortunately, ever since, including the day of this taping. Uh, I've had I had a terrible one that I'm just almost in the middle of right now. uh, That anyway, the reason I'm telling you this is you are the star of your own documentary that I want to talk about, where you were unbelievably open about the anxiety issues that you have what made you marty decide that you were prepared to let people in on your life in that way
2: yeah um i'm sorry you're dealing with that i'm sorry you had to deal with that maybe this will help um we start talking about it talking about things um you know what's funny is leading into that question um first and foremost it it helped me to talk about it it really did it helped me um i felt better when i was open um when i was barely vulnerable, although I didn't really feel like I was being vulnerable, because again, it helped me. And I felt, uh, I felt better um, when I talked about it. Um, secondly, and, and maybe just as important, um, I don't know, maybe you can tell me this just as important. Uh, um, I wanted to be a success story. I wanted to be some uh, someone that people can lean on um, and and know the story, uh, understand what uh, what I've gone through and um, and say there's someone who was sort of the life was sort of taken away from them, uh, their work or job was taken away from them a bit and uh, not only did they, uh get it back but they succeeded in getting it back um uh they jumped back into the fire if you will and 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 was able to thrive again um professionally um and personally um and and I didn't have that I'm a huge sports fan um I've been a huge sports fan my whole life born in Minnesota so uh and grew up in Florida so Minnesota roots all the way through Twins Vikings Timberwolves Gophers the whole thing I didn't go to college my dad went to University of Minnesota so I'm a Gophers fan there you have it uh, it's brutal to be a Minnesota sports fan nowadays, but, but here we are. Um, uh, I wanted to, I, I, you know, and again, I was a big sports fan and I didn't have that, like, you know, that athlete or that, uh, I don't know, celebrities, the right word, that athlete to like, sort of, uh, um, sort of go, okay, there's someone that, um, that, that struggled with mental health, that, uh, was able to beat it and, 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 you know, have success afterward. Um, And uh, there had been a couple instances that I can remember where there was a golfer that um, in Orlando one time that struggled on the golf course in the third round of a, um, of a tournament. I forget his name. He actually had to like lay down on the course um, at one point actually ended up winning the golf tournament. Um, There was, I don't know if you remember Royce, Uh, Royce White I believe his name um, who is a who was a basketball player for Iowa State he was a really good basketball player got drafted by the Bulls Um, he couldn't like fly and he couldn't um, he couldn't be a professional NBA professional basketball player because of his anxieties and and but he never really came out with it so like there wasn't really a success story really something to go there's someone that that I know of, that I've heard of and, and beat it, you know, and like, and, and had some struggles and came back. And so I wanted to be that person. I wanted to lean on, um, I wanted people to be able to lean on my success story of, um, uh, uh, cause it is a success story in terms of mental health. Um, and, and, and to, uh, to say there's, there's uh, someone who was successful with it.
1: But I feel like you're starting at the end a little bit, and I want to get inside Untold and Breaking Points is the show. If you haven't seen the documentary about Marty and and his journey, you have to watch it immediately right after this show. Please watch it. But I feel like I don't want to let you off the hook a little bit because you're starting at the end. How did you know you'd be a success story when you're in the middle of realizing that you can't perform at your job because of the anxiety issues? I think the whole problem is you can't see the end at that point. And so that seems to be a tremendous amount of pressure that you're putting on yourself while you're still going through it. Or once you solve the issue, did you then say, that's what I wanted was to be the success story.
2: Uh, it it was after for sure. I mean, during, you know, I mean, I, I I didn't have uh, a history of mental health, didn't have anyone around me, um, very close to me that had issues with mental health. So, um, so I didn't know what was going on. Uh, I certainly initially didn't know what was going on um, throughout the summer of 2012, um, which was when it really came to a head. Um, I didn't understand what uh, these thoughts were, um, what panic attacks were, what anxiety attacks were. I knew I was having Uh, anxious moments, uh, uh, figured they'd go away, um, figured that, uh, you know, I was, wasn't having them on the tennis court in 2012 was really the only place that I wasn't. Um, And so I just felt like, you know, well, if I don't have them on the tennis court, then I'm sure eventually they'll just go away. Um, And boy, was I wrong. Um, And, uh, and so having to, having to pull out of the U S open that year, 2012, um, uh I, it it allowed me to get help um allowed me to get on the right track um but i wasn't ready to tell everyone about it nor did i even know what was going on um was i going to be able to play in asia in october um and this was you know late august early september um was i going to be able to play in november in europe i have no idea so all those things were um, were were sort of happening you know just sort of in real time. And, and so, and so it wasn't until probably when I realized um, that I knew that the end of my career was near um, that I knew the next chapter in my life um, was hopefully going to start that I really wanted to come out with it and really talk about it, openly talk about it. Um, And the first time that I did that was in the player's tribune. Um, We wrote a piece um, myself and a, a ghostwriter, wrote a piece in the player's tribune, which I love. Um, about uh um uh, just about my struggles and about uh and I see that smirk. I, I I do love the the players tribune how what what the, the avenue that it gives to to athletes and professional athletes and things. We can still no be if, friends. We can no still who be who friends, started, Marty. I promise. No matter who started it, it's fine. Um and and uh and so um so that was where we started. Um uh, we started there 2015 it was my last tournament uh the US Open there. Um wanted to get back there, wanted to get back to that um place where it was sort of all taken away from me. Um, And, uh, and, and that was, you know, for me, it wasn't about winning the tournament. Um, I knew I wasn't going to win that tournament. It wasn't even about winning matches. Um, It was just about stepping back on the court um, and and getting into the fire of, of a, of a really uncomfortable place. And the last time that I had been on the court was uh, the worst moments of my, maybe worst moments of my life. So um, yeah, so, so that's, that's why we came out with it and when we came out with it.
1: So let's go back to 2012. You're in the U.S. Open. You're playing in Arthur Ashe Stadium. I think it may have been called that back in 2012. It's the main stadium at the U.S. Open, the biggest tournament for professional tennis in the United States. Some would argue the world, though. Some may say it's Wimbledon, but let's just say it's the U.S. Open for now. And, you know, you're playing a solo sport. When I had mine, I had people around me who I could talk to. The thought of playing a solo sport the way you do and being alone on a court and having that issue when you can't, it's not like there's coaching. We know it's against the rules to be coached during, during a match. You do, you have maybe a line judge back then, some ball people, but being alone like that, or even in the locker room, what was the trigger when you said, I'm using that word, double entendre, not the trigger for the attack. When you said, that's it. I cannot play today. Do you remember that thought process? Um. I do. Um, yeah, look, I mean, the, the, so I I
2: came to that in the, that was, so I was in the fourth round of the U S open that year. Um, uh, in the third round was the, was sort of the, the first time, um, that the panic and anxiety attacks hit me on the tennis court. Um, it was, I was always free. And that was the only place of comfort for me, um, in my mind, um, uh, uh, on the tennis court, on the practice court, whatever it was. I had a lot of things to worry about, think about. Uh, so I, I stepped out there, um, in that third round match, uh, against Jill Simone, a French, uh, tough French guy. Um, uh, and we had a, an up and down match, a really stressful anxiety filled match, right? Like, you know, lots of breaks and holds and breaks and more breaks. And, and it and breaks a serve. And, and, and so um, it was a really roller coaster type match. So I, I can looking back now, I can sort of understand why I was stressed during that match. I mean, it was a, a roller coaster of a match. Um, uh, you know, you're playing and you're right it's, it, for an American. The U.S. Open is the biggest tournament of the year. Um, there's no question. It's the one we want to win um, most, um, I think the consensus for most Americans is, um, so there, that's where the most, uh, hustle and bustle and stress is of, of, of our year, you know, so that, that tournament, um, uh, it wasn't until sort of the morning that I was supposed to play Federer. Um, it was, uh, Labor Day, um, Arthur Ashe stadium. You're right. uh, uh it was the, um, you know one of the biggest matches you can play was the it was um sort of the culmination of all the hard work and dedication professionalism and you know all the all the adjectives you can use to 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 describe the um you know what I had gone through and what I had sacrificed to get there um only to not play and um that thought process never would have crossed my mind it wasn't in it wasn't ingrained in me um, it wasn't ingrained. It's not ingrained in in athletes. I don't, I don't think it's ingrained in very many people, um, uh, specifically, specifically tennis players. You're right. Tennis is a really individualistic sport. It's the only major sport, um, you know, I think marathon runner or something like that. But like you leave the locker room, we're all by ourselves. So we got to figure out how to beat one person that day all by ourselves. We don't have to beat the whole draw. You don't have to beat 25 people, just one person that one day. But you get no help. You got to do it on your own, um, and, and so the thought of having to go out there by myself um, wh- when I was feeling like this was um, was daunting to say the least. Um, I, I was I was uh, emotional. Um, I'm not a crier, but I was crying like crazy in the car headed to the uh, headed to the site that day. Um, I'm a really big proponent of a support system. Uh, I had an, a phenomenal support system um, that that started with my wife and my wife isn't, uh, didn't grow up in sports. She didn't, you know, play very many sports if she says she played high school tennis, but I'm uh, <laughs> uh, 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 yet to see the, where the talent is um, there, but, but, um, uh, uh, but phenomenal wife, phenomenal mother, um, uh, not a great tennis player, but, um, but, but she, um, she sort of put in my mind um, and in my head, we don't actually have to play. And I I never, um, I never would have thought that I was never trained that I was trained to never show weakness, never show fear, never, you know, try not to show emotion, try not to show negative emotion. Um, uh, That was hard at times, the negative emotion part, but it was, um, but that's how I was trained. So I, so thank God she was there to put that thought in my head, because I don't think I ever would have done that.
1: Was she in the car with you on the way? Because my guess is that you could have been staying back then at the Hyatt, which is the, the hotel on 42nd and Lex, and you have to go over the Midtown tunnel to get to the uh, where, where City Field is where Shea stadium was at that point, or maybe city was open. Are you in the car with your wife when you're crying or are you just with the driver?
2: Yeah, we um, I'm with my trainer, my wife um, and uh, and my coach and the driver. So, so, you know, not alone either, um, and and so again, great support system, and and my my physio um, is still to this day one of the closest people I've, I've I have, um, partly because of going through that process with him and 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 them as well. Um, but do but they yeah. ask
1: you what's wrong, Marty, when you're doing that? When you're on your way to play Roger Federer in the fourth round of the U.S. Open in the in the main stadium on the big stage, and you start breaking down on the way, are they wondering whether this is nerves? Or do you, are you able to explain to them what's happening or not?
2: Yeah. At this, at this point I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm at this point, they fully know what's going on. Um, certainly my, you know, my, my wife did, although she hadn't dealt with any mental health issues, um, in her past, she was very, um, um, she, she's, uh, um, she's a Jewish mother if if you know what that means, right? So she, she, um, overbearing um loving um loves family loves you know loves you know family friends that type of thing and um and, and so she's very she was very um very understanding um but maybe that's not the best word maybe she was she was very open to 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 understanding what was going on or trying to understand what was going on because she hadn't dealt with something like that um but with me explaining to her what was going on, she's explaining to me that, you know, other sides of the coin, which are, you know, this, this may be your job and you may, but you know, you may want to go out there and play, but you're not forced to go out there and play. You don't have to play another match for the rest of your life if you don't want to. Um, And, and I just, I, that, that thought process never, ever would have crossed my mind. I would have, somehow tried to it's just not the way i'm wired it's just i i would have tried to play i don't know how and what i would have done um same thing with you on the airplane you know i would have gotten on the airplane but i wouldn't have known how to say hey i gotta get off right now it's just not it's just not in my uh, i would have just sort of tried to fight through it
1: somehow But but it didn't. So you didn't. It didn't occur to to turn the car around. So we're still not at that point yet. You get into the locker room. I want to get right to there had to have been the inflection point right where you were a walkover. And, and you had to come to grips with that fact. And that's, that's an important part of the movie in that it, it, it marks such an unbelievable moment in your life that begins the journey to the success that you talked about. But where was that inflection point in the locker room? Because it wasn't in the car or else you would have turned the damn thing around.
2: It was it, Well, it was in the car. But the reason why I, we didn't turn it around is because you got to go and actually pull out of the event. Um, you actually have to go and tell the, um, tell the referees and tournament directors and, and, you know, tournament director of the U S open who wants that match to be played And American the American number one against the number one in the world, um, is a big match for that tournament. Um, so they care, um, ESPN, uh, or I think, actually, I think at the time it was CBS was still doing the weekend, um, the weekends there at the U S open, um, you know, it was the, it was Dick Enberg, uh, uh, you know, and, and uh, John McEnroe. That that call, you know, that you love, that I loved back in the day. Those guys calling the Labor Day and weekend final um, of the U.S. Open, um, and, and and so you've got to go and tell them you're supposed to go and actually talk to the media as well, which I didn't do, um, thankfully, because um, uh, I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what was um, You know, what what to say, you know, I mean, sorry, I can't play. I'm not ready to necessarily tell you why. Um, I'm not comfortable enough to tell you why um, or vulnerable enough at the moment, but um, I can't, I just, I can't,
1: I can't do that right now. Um, Did you have PR help? Back back. We're saying back in the day, by the way, that was 2012. It's only nine. nine it's only nine years ago. Were there PR people there who were imploring you to please me with the media the way they did with Osaka and everybody else in today's tennis world?
2: There are um, ATP, ATP media that ask. Um, I think they they probably um, looking back, they probably saw my face and just went like something's wrong here. Um I I think I said something to the effect of, and again, I don't remember vividly because, you know, as tennis players, we remember, I mean, it's our job. So we remember points and matches very vividly. Um, I don't remember. uh, I think I pulled out with like a knee injury, quote unquote, um, because you had to pull out of something with something. Um, I couldn't say mental health certainly back then um it would have been like what are you talking about what is mental health and what are you talking about you're going out there in an hour right like <laughs> and so um so you know you come yeah so so that's why i didn't turn the car around um because i had i had to go we we then jumped in a car right away went back to the went back to the hotel tried to get on a plane cuz all i wanted to do was get home all i wanted to do was start the process of healing somehow I wanted to Get on medication if that's what it took. I wanted to see a doctor if that's what it took. I ju- I just I I was desperate for for help. Um, and uh, did your
1: and, agent understand, Marty?
2: Probably not. I mean, <laughs> no. I mean, you know, but 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 my agent again, like a support system, like right, like and my agent and I, he's been my agent for over twenty years. Um, he's a friend. He's not an agent, you know, like to me. Um, so he would, you know, he would have gone. Oh, that's uh, an interesting uh, thing to do, but I got your back, you know, and if anybody asks, I'll, you know, I got your back kind of thing. I don't even think I told him at the time what was going on. Um, So he, you know, he didn't even know. And a lot of people, you know, it's interesting. A lot of people close to me have watched this thing. I got some, you know, some of my best friends in the world um, are like, man, I didn't realize that, you know, after watching the documentary, this I didn't realize that it was that bad or that you were that, deep in it, or I wish I would have known or, or done something or anything. And I, the, I tell them all, like, you wouldn't have known. I mean, I, I wasn't ready to, um, or, or ready to be open or vulnerable for, to everyone then, although it did make me feel better when I talked about it. And so the, the more and more I opened up about that um, part of my life, um, the better I felt. So you know, over time, over months, I would open up a little bit to Andy Roddick. I would open up a little bit to James Blake. Um, those, you know, it's two of my best friends on the tour. Um, why aren't you playing? Well, here's why I'm not playing, and and sort of be fairly vague with it, but um, but still letting them know what was going on.
1: You mentioned Andy Roddick, he's a big part of the documentary on Netflix called Breaking Point. And what is interesting is the relationship you had with him started as what I would call boys and grew into men and unbelievable competitors for, for people who don't realize they were rivals sort of like magic and bird uh, is what Marty and Andy were. And it manifested itself on the court, but they were incredibly close that you learned during this documentary off the court, including the fact that you moved in with his family, which creates sort of a brother competition and still Andy had no idea what was going on during this.
2: He didn't. Um, and you know, what's funny with Andy is that he, uh, he was retiring that year. So he actually told me at the U S open, um, that year, he said, this is my last tournament. And like, that was a huge, that was a huge thing for, uh, for me as well, because, uh, and an emotional thing too, because we had come up together. We played our first match when we were 11 years old against each other in, in San Lando, Florida and North of Orlando. And so I'm like, shithole town in the middle of nowhere can we cuss on this sorry uh uh some bleep hole town in the middle of nowhere um we played our first match there so um so we we had a ton of history clearly um we were my relationship with andy was more of like brothers still you know like he asked me the other day if i wanted to go to a golf uh, golf trip with him and i'm like ah, i don't really want to go to a golf trip And he, we, we got in an argument because like i didn't want to go on a golf trip and he's like why don't you want to go on a golf trip with me you know so like we fought about everything, but we were brothers. We were like family. Um, We, there's nothing that can be said between us that would change that ever. Um, We've gotten into it on the court 10, 15 times, probably um, almost every match we've ever played. Uh, Probably even when we're playing doubles together, to be honest. Um, So, so, and that's rare. Um, So we, uh, no, I want to serve first. No, I want to serve first kind of thing uh, to start the match. So, so We have a a different um, relationship for sure. He understands me um, uh, uh, and my lifestyle and what we've been through um, maybe more than anyone um, and and still someone that, um, you know, that I'm clearly very close with to this day.
1: Can you, I want to read to you, Coca just found the exact release that was given by your agent, John Tobias that day. And I want to read you what he said. And then I'd like you to answer this question given where we are in 2021. And I'd like you to rewrite it for us, given the state of the world and the state of mental health and how much more open we can be about mental health issues. This is what he said back then when asked what happened. We are not 100% sure what the issue is and if it is related to his previous issues. Marty is fine and will return home to L.A. tomorrow. This was strictly precautionary, and I anticipate that Marty will play in Asia this fall.
2: Okay, that's a great
1: find, first of all. Um, That's Coca, the number one producer.
2: Number one um, needs to to deal with his uh, closet issue. But yeah, other than that, he's a great producer. Um, He is not
1: in the closet. He's completely out in every way okay not what I, was about. I know um, tell me please tell me about this and whether how you would write it today
2: so i'm assuming that he's thinking about you know because i i had a look the in a in a really short way i'll try to explain how this thing started and and i, I had a heart issue called tachycardia it's a, mm-hmm. an electrical issue around your heart uh, there's elect Electro uh, electrodes around your heart, it's the quarterback to your heart. When it fires, it tells your heart to beat. Fire up, up, fire up, bump. there's thousands of them. They can fire uncontrollably sometimes. Uh, they can malfunction. When they malfunction, they fire uncontrollably. They can fire your heart, doesn't know anything else but to beat. Blah, 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 I trained at a at a really high level um, off the court. Uh, And in practice with a heart rate monitor, I tried to get my heart to a certain number as high as I could possibly get it. And then in 25 seconds, I would try to get it down as low as I possibly could. That's how I trained. So I knew that whatever I did on the court or off the court fitness wise, I couldn't get my heart past to beat past 192 beats per minute. That's as high as I ever saw it go. When I had this tachycardia issue, my heart would beat 20, uh, 220, 230 beats per minute. So I, I'm thinking when this is initially happening, holy bleep! I'm dying. i, I my, is my heart going to explode? It, it, like I don't know anything. I don't know what's going on. So I had to go to the hospital a few times because of that. Um, uh, looking back, um, um, you know, it's similar than similar to panic attack or something like that. Um, uh, I got that fixed, but from the traumatic experiences of that, you know, more of my hearts be. I don't want to go back. That is, am I going to go back to that? Am, am I? So I think, um, I developed a lot of the, you know, apart from the stress of just, you know, everyday life and jobs and every, you know, that everybody has, um, I did have that issue. So I think that press release sounds like it's not related to, or maybe directly or not related to that incident. Um, so I'll re, I'll rewrite it. Um, uh, Marty uh, has uh, severe anxiety disorder. Um, he has tried to deal with this um, for uh, the entire summer. Um, has played through it, um, and is now uh is now hit to, hit a place where um, he doesn't feel comfortable on the court, um, and he's going to uh, uh, see a full range of, of doctors um, and and do a lot of testing in. Los Angeles starting tomorrow and, um, and we will update you further on when he's going to play. Um, that, that would be the, the new today. Um, I would be comfortable today. Um, putting that, that type of, um, that type of
1: release out. Would you have approved that release in 2012? Mm, probably not. Interesting, right? I've been thinking so much about this. And uh, there's so much criticism that athletes get specifically because we want our athletes to perform. We want them to show up, right, and do their job and win. And we want to cheer for them and then be proud that they've done something that we can't do that we wish we could do that other people can do and get rich doing it. That's don't tell me you have a bad knee. Don't tell me you have a bad heart. Don't tell me you're fighting with your wife. Don't tell me you're anxious. Just go play. When that's the general mentality that you're up against and that is pervasive in every clubhouse and locker room in the country where professional athletes live. But now it seems like what Naomi did, what Simone did, I'm sure you were watching with great interest what happened with Simone in the Olympics and how she just had the twisties, as she calls it, which is, I guess, like the yips, but more dangerous in baseball. I don't know what the equivalent would be in tennis, what's the equivalent to the yips in tennis?
2: Maybe just uh, not being able to make a sec double faulting twenty-five times a match. That would be the yips.
1: Have you seen that?
2: Yes, I have, male and female, great players and and terrible players um, alike. I, thank God, I've never had it, uh, never had to deal with it, but it is it is real.
1: So so the yips, so the yips happen. Simone drops out of a few events, comes back, but then just said that she should have not actually competed at all in Tokyo. And you know, Naomi Osaka is not playing at all. She's now saying, I don't know when I'll play again. And I'm just wondering, you are the pioneer almost. And for when people watch this documentary, as I really think about this, you may be the first athlete who was willing to truly discuss this in the detail you did in the movie. Do you realize sort of when you say you want it to be a success, but the import of what you're doing, are you now sort of the spokesperson for anxiety disorder for professional athletes? Is that a role you want? Uh,
2: um, Yeah. I mean, I look, I I would love a role where I can tell my story that helps people um, that helps others. Uh, This doc has come out and I don't have hundreds of direct messages on Twitter. I have thousands, David, thousands, not hundreds. I mean, I can I can send you the video where you can video your phone and I just sort of go through. I've written to everyone back. It's taken some time Um, every day. I look and I've got, you know, 20 or 30 more. Um, And that makes me feel good. It makes me feel like, you know, I I started this whole thing and Netflix and Players Tribune and, and the way brothers come and they say, you know, we want to do this and we've chosen yours. And, you know, okay I'm ready. And I say, okay I'm ready. Yep.
1: They're the directors. Just want to let people know the way in case people don't, the way brothers directed um, Breaking Point. Sorry.
2: Phenomenal directors, um, sort of a a perfect storm, if you will. I love I love what the Players Tribune does. Um, Netflix, obviously a monster, um, a monster platform. And then the Way Brothers uh, uh, are just phenomenal. If you haven't seen anything that they've done, check out Wild Wild Country, Battered Bastards of Baseball. Um, they've won multiple Emmys, um, phenomenal, um, phenomenal directors and writers. Um, they have a history of tennis as well. They grew up around, uh, around tennis. So they understood it a little bit. They're fans of tennis. Um, perfect storm in terms of, in terms of how to get this story out. Um, uh, do I, do I want to be the first one? No, I don't want to be the first one. Um, but somebody has got to do it. Um, look, I, I, you know, you, you mentioned Naomi, Naomi and I are very close, um, she lives out here in Los Angeles. We pre- we play tennis together. We, um, I know her agent very well. And again, it's, you know, you say agent, you just think people think like, Oh, it's your agent. You, you, nowadays, agents are really like integral in, in athletes, especially individual athletes lives. Um, and hers is no different. So, so, uh, she relies on her, on him, Stuart do Um, uh, very much, uh, Stuart and I are very close as well. Um, uh, Naomi um, Simone, I mean, these these are Naomi's a person that really understands her place in history. She wants to be one of the greatest tennis players ever. So for her, you know for for me understanding that and 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 sort of following along at the French Open, she had won the two previous Grand Slams. She'd won the u s Open and the Australian Open earlier that year. She pulls out of the French Open in the third round. Um, I know that she, understands history of tennis. I understand that she wants to be one of the greatest ever um, wants to win, you know, as many grand slams as more grand slams than anyone. Um, So I, I see that and I say, man, she pulled out. Like that's not just a, I don't want to talk to the media type um, pull out. Simone Biles has worked at least the last five years for the Olympics and obviously her entire life um, to get to the position that she's in um and just to not want to step out there not be able to step out there really shows me that she's struggling with something yes um i think it's more than you know they call it the twisties or or the yips um uh, i would assume it's probably a little more than that but um but again if that's all it is she's a human being and like you know i don't know anything about gymnastics per se so like you know you get the twisties and you'd hurt, really hurt yourself really bad um uh, so, so maybe it takes or took a, a male to come out and say, Hey, uh, you know, I struggled with this. Um, um, maybe people, you know, cause a lot of, uh, a lot of the, the, the dialogue back and forth after that, even to me, um, who understands mental health really well, um, was was half negative half positive which was a bummer and um everyone that reached out to me and said oh that's pretty you know she didn't want to play and she's not very good on clay so she just didn't want to play the french open so naive so naive and um and i would try and you know try and explain to them my thoughts behind it um without judgment just saying look this is what i think and i lived through this type of thing um may, maybe it takes may, maybe it t- it maybe it took um, a female's touch in my wife to tell me it's okay to not compete today or to not play today. And maybe it takes a male's touch to go, Hey, mental health is real. And I've, I struggled with this and I'm not, you know, like, look, I don't play a contact sport or didn't play a contact sport. I'm not a football player or a boxer or anything. I practice uh, mixed martial arts. I do kickboxing and Muay Thai. It's what I practice and train. I, I spar all the time. I'll fight anyone. So it's not about like, you know, I'll spar with anyone. So like, it's not about being tough. It's not about that at all. It's about showing tens of millions of Americans that deal with mental illness or mental health every day, um, that you're not alone. And it's okay. Um, It's okay to not be okay. Um, And, uh, and I wanted, you know, I wanted people to understand that from my perspective, I wanted people to understand that, Um, you know, this is a male from a, 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 you know, a a man's game, you know, I guess. And like, I, I played tennis on the male side. And so like, you know, I don't, I just, I don't know if, if that had anything to do with it where people, you know, people, um, their reaction to Simone and, and, and Naomi, um, hopefully it isn't, but I feel like probably there's a little bit of that sort of female aspect to
1: it. I have a Mia Copa, uh, which is that when she pulled out of the French open, because we are in 2021, I had an expectation that if there is something going on, say it. You you can say it through a PR person. You can say it through yourself. And it was on the heels of the issue of not wanting to meet the media. And the Mia culpa is on a Nothing Personal episode. I took her to task. I said, that's your job. You know, players don't like meeting the media. I don't like meeting the media, but it was part of my job for 18 years. And that's just the rules of engagement. If you want to get paid to be the president of a team or to, to get make $50 million in endorsements, you've got to meet the media. I would not have said any of those things had the explanation simply been, it's not that I don't want to meet the media. I can't meet the media. It's not that I don't want to do my job. I, I cannot walk on the court right now and do my job. I think the messaging, given that we're in 2021, if she had called you, I'm wondering whether you would have advised her, listen, it's OK to be outward about this and not make it about you and the media.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I certainly would have said that um, I certainly would have at least said be vulnerable with someone, be vulnerable with your agent, Stuart, be vulnerable with with me, any anyone that that you um, are close with. Um, I don't know um the inner workings of Simone Biles uh, you know personal life obviously she's gone through a lot we know that um uh, you know and 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 I don't know you know Naomi I don't know her you know personal life with her family or her parents or her boyfriend you know she's a real human and so and so uh, these things um Are uncomfortable she's shy that doesn't mean just because you're shy doesn't mean you you're not you you don't need to talk to the media that doesn't mean that um what people don't understand too with someone like her someone like Roger Federer um uh Rafa does it a little bit better where uh, Nadal does a little bit better where he um acts like he doesn't speak quite as good of English as he actually does I'm sure you've been seeing a few baseball players like that Uh, uh, Naomi and 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 like Federer you know Roger speaks like five different languages he's got to do press in five different languages as long as long as I did in English every every language and so like Naomi speaks obviously fluent Japanese and the Japanese media is all over the place and all over her all the time so she's got to do let's call it an hour and 15 minutes of American or English media and another hour and 15 that's that's a lot it's a lot it's a lot it's a ton, and so she was trying to consolidate it somehow and figure out a way where somehow um, somehow we can um, can we figure out a way where this is more comfortable for everyone? Um, can we sit down and get in a room and and feel like um, uh, you know what do you guys want out of me? What what can I get out of what do you what can I get out of you guys?
1: That's different than blanketly saying, I'm not going to meet the media, right? What what you're saying is you want to change a rule and I'm all, I'm all okay with that. And that's what I said on the show, which is if you want to change how the media interacts with tennis players before matches, after matches, but I don't think you can just say, Hey, I don't want to do that now. And that's why I wish maybe she would have gone into detail and said, it's not that I'm uncomfortable or not that I don't want to give the Japanese media time. I watched Ichiro, negotiate with the Japanese media the American media and it's brutal he also said that he did not speak English but he but he did speak perfect English by the way and one of the factors that occurs to me is that she's so young right she you know you talk about her that wanting to be the world's greatest tennis player and wanting to have the most grand slams she's 23 years old right yep so she's not equipped to maybe deal with and and I worry about this as a former team president. We do so much to these young people and we treat them as adults. We make them we pay them like adults. We make them act like adults. And we never want to believe that they can act like a person who's 23 or 22 or 21. And I think that's the biggest issue in sports right now is what we're demanding of these young people. And we're watching these athletes burn out at a rate that is really unheard of. And, And tennis, to me, is a prime example because you were ahead of the game in tennis. There have been young players burning out in tennis for 40 years, but I feel like the stakes are so much higher now with social media and how that has really changed all of us. Do you see in your conversations with players that they're getting burnt out earlier, faster? And do you think social media is a part of it? Anxiety is a part of it. Expectation. What are you seeing in, in today's players?
2: Yeah. I mean, look, social media is, can be, can be a great outlet, which it is for me right now. I, I haven't had one person in those thousands of people write direct messages to me say, Hey, why'd you come out with that? You're soft. You're you know, X, Y, and Z. Not one. Okay. So, so for me right now, Twitter, which usually is a pretty nasty place is actually an awesome place right right now. Um, now that is not the case for everyone. And, um, and, and a lot of these, a lot of these athletes can't, not look they can't not look at their mentions they can't not look when you lose matches i did it and i was you know 32 years old when i did it um i joined twitter in 2011 uh andy roddick told me to join and he's on it and he's right you know he's on there in the mornings and he's writing good morning i'm like what are you doing Like (laughs) writing good morning like what, what is this stupid thing you know and, and, you know, that was 2011. So like, that was 10 years ago and he told me to get on and I eventually got on. And when we were in a tournament in Rome and like the, you know, and, and I looked every time after every match at like my mentions and who, who bet against me and who bet for me, you know, all that stuff. And like, it's a nasty place. Um, it's nasty. And, and so, um, that's a whole different conversation of like, how can social media help, um, young people not just athletes like just young young uh high school kids college kids um young adults young professionals um succeed.
1: you could frame it the other way how can social, how is social media hurting all of these young people all the twitter shaming and cyberbullying. it is a huge huge issue i don't want to keep you much longer but i have to ask before we promote the movie one more time make sure you watch untold breaking point on netflix davis cup you're the captain the Davis cup team captain, like that's even cooler than being number one in the world in my mind. Although you probably wouldn't agree with that, but being the captain, <laughs> tell me, give me an update. What's going to happen because you are, you're traveling to a uh, Davis cup round, aren't you? It's a
2: dream job of mine. It's a, uh, it's an absolute, absolute dream to be uh, to represent your country. Um, there's something about walking around with the red, white, and blue flag on your, on your sleeve, on your chest. Um so, it's a total dream job. I've been enamored by the captaincy even while I was playing. I loved the uh, the idea of being able to pick the team and the surface and where we play and all of it, all, all, all good and bad. I love it all. Um, uh, we play, um, so, we play in a sort of new revamped Davis Cup now. They're trying to sort of turn it into the Davis Cup davis cup of or the, the world cup of tennis really if you will it's like a soccer you know sort of world cup um there's three cities six country six uh, groups of three um uh, two groups in each city uh we play italy and Colombia uh late november in turin italy um and uh which will be awesome i mean we play uh in italy um on their surface uh, they got an unbelievable they have an unbelievable team um we've got a great team. We've got great players. We've got young guys, old guys. Um, and I get to pick from 12, you know, or, or 14 great players into five. Um, and and I love all, every aspect of it. I love picking the team. I love telling them that, you know, like that they're not on the team, that they're on the team. It sounds, sounds kind of weird, but I, I I love it. Um, I, I, it's, it's it's a huge honor. Um, and, and, uh, and something that I, I will always, uh, always keep near.
1: You know, Marty, that makes you a GM, by the way, everything <laughs> you just right. described. Yeah. You're I, responsible. I
2: love, I love it. I, I, again, like I, you know, I play fantasy sports. I'm a GM of my fantasy teams <laughs> and, uh, and I love it. I really do. I, I, it's just a huge honor. Um, it's a huge honor to play Davis cup. There's only four or five spots. There were four spots when I played, um, you know, the Ryder Cup in, in golf is 12 spots. So it's obviously really difficult to even make the team. Um, I made the team a lot. Um, I'm the captain of the Davis Cup. It's the greatest job you could possibly uh, imagine. And,
1: and I love it. Well, I couldn't be happier for you. I appreciate I could keep going because I'd want to talk about social media. I'd want to talk more. I have so many things I didn't get to. But Marty, I do appreciate your time. Again, please, you can follow him on Twitter, obviously, because he's a funny follow and a good follow. You can write me doesn't. on Twitter. You can he write me too. I, I can. I feel
2: like okay, I can just I feel like I'm cool. you don't you don't write me on Twitter. Other people. Anyone can write me. I'll write you back. I promise.
1: <laughs> Your DMs are open as are mine. But you and I get to text. I'm I'm thankful for our friendship. And I want to say that if you have not watched Breaking Point on Netflix, please do it and recognize how brave and courageous Marty Fish was not just as a player, as a father, as a man, as a husband, but as someone willing to share his story and share his pain in order to make other people better. Marty, on behalf of all of us, thank you for having done that. And I really appreciate you taking the time today.
2: Uh, It's really nice of you to say, David, I appreciate it. I appreciate our friendship too, man. And I hope to see you in in person one time. And, and, um, and let's do it again. Let's do it again soon.